tuning into the Prop Deck Revolution with Johan and Simon. Through this podcast series, we will seek to better inform our listeners about the latest and greatest as it relates to IoT in the built environment. If there's a subject you would appreciate us touching upon, please don't hesitate to reach out and we'll do our very best to give you our two cents. On today's episode, we would like to discuss the continuous pursuit to achieve the $1 IoT sensor. Let me start by telling you that the $1 to $20 range sensor could happen uh, if produced in high quantities, likely over 100,000, with limited sensing requirements, so a very basic sensor, and a very short range radio. Unfortunately, at this time, the IoT industry is still ways away from achieving that $1 sensor. And time and time again, we hear from our clients that they thought that, you know, sensor's pretty cheap. Should be close to a buck, right? Well, um, we're going to spend a bit of time today with Johan sharing with you what goes into building a sensor and the loops and the jump and here and there and everything else you got to do to even just build a sensor to have it ready for, for market. So, Johan... What's uh, kind of try and share to our listeners what what goes into building a sensor at a high level and maybe even granular whatever uh, whatever you see best. Sure, thanks, Simon. So, I mean, at a very high level, what we need to appreciate that goes into um, engineering an IoT sensor or any electronic device for that matter is is the fact that there's obviously indirect costs. And that whole chain of indirect costs starts adding up once you start considering the fact that you, you effectively, the day you decide to build an IoT device, you need to have the team, right? You need to have the expertise with regards to mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, firmware, software, um, and then obviously the management and indirect uh, management of stock inventory and all of that sort of um, items. But let's say for the argument's sake now, we decide we're going to build a sensor today and the first things you would need to look at is you would first you need a enclosure and your enclosure is um, highly influenced by your application which means that does it need to be waterproof does it need to um, survive impacts does it need to be tamper proof is it a uh, what ip rating are you looking for can you submerge it in water or does it just need to be splash proof that has a high impact on the complexity of the mold now, molds can cost anywhere from five to ten thousand dollars, and depending, depending on, on the complexity, on how many uh, sensors you plan on building, right? Depending, you got different molds for different uh, quantities you plan on building too. Correct. Yeah. So the the finish that they put on the mold itself actually hardens the mold to to get more um, what they call shots out of it or blanks. Now that influences the price as well. But for, let's say, for argument's sake, we, we take a fixed price um, and call it $10,000. Now, if you're lucky enough to be part of a bigger organization and you have all the human resources available, the engineers and everything like that, and the overheads are shared, you're still looking towards a $200,000 investment just to develop that sensor. If the company was created to, to create just that sensor alone and that was the end all and be all, for that company, their main focus, you, you in the region of $2 billion and 12 months, 24 months before you get a product on the table that's realistic and actually marketable. So 
let's say you're lucky enough, you have a team that um, resources are split and overheads are split, you're talking about $200,000 just for to get four or five people together that's got the, the knowledge of how to build this product. Now, you've picked the enclosure, you've got the team. Let's say you take a PCB. Now, the PCB for an IoT sensor will obviously have the microcontroller, it'll have the radio interface, doesn't matter which radio interface we decide right now what we're going to run. A PCB? It can be. So printed circuit board. Um, okay. So that's what runs in all of our electronic devices and things like that. Um, and that, funny enough, on its own has got a cost of around 50 cents to a dollar, two dollars. Um, so that should give you an indication as to where this is heading. Um, now you pick a microcontroller, which does the thinking of um, the sensing of on the device itself. You pick a radio, and that will be your LP-WAN radios, which we discussed in previous episodes. So whether it's long range, um, Sigfox, LoRa, Bluetooth, um, which is more localized. And then you have to pick a battery. Now the battery is also influenced by how long or what type of application you do um, and how long this device has to last in the field. And that's nine out of 10 times is um, driven by the type of sensor technology that you pick. And that's what we'll do next. So you get all those steps in place and all those steps are pretty much generic in any IoT device. Um, and what you'll notice is we haven't even touched on the actual application. Now, the application itself pretty much relates to what do you want to sense, whether it's leak detection, whether it's monitoring of HVAC systems, whether it's the, like the Nest device, temperature, environmental sensing, all of those previous steps will always be present. Now you decide, okay, I want to monitor temperature sensor and I want it to monitor leak. So you get those two sensors, you decide whether they're internal to the device and external to the device. If they're external to the device, that has an impact on cost because you have to have a, a way of entering the device in a waterproof manner or with a connector, depending what your use case is. Right. If, it's, if it's internal, great. But now it's extremely difficult to have an internal device that's still waterproof, but can sense humidity that, that has to somehow pass through the enclosure, but water can't. More complexity for the enclosure. <laughs> I can just imagine. So you, you end up in, in that balance of trying to find the right sensor to the right enclosure and putting all of this together in a nice package. Now you look at what the sensors that you've selected and you said, okay, this must last 10 years. To, for this to last 10 years due to, um, or through your calculations, you work out I need 10 years of battery life. 10 years of battery life coincidentally then works out to call it uh, 7,000 milliamp hours or 10,000 milliamp hours. You break that into the most economical battery shape and size that you can find today and you're sitting at we, with, I think where we are at currently, it's, it's eight, six or eight dollars a battery. Um, and that is three batteries per device and you're sitting at $18 just for the battery life to extend to that sort of range. Now you start putting all of this together and all of a sudden for a single unit you you in the high hundreds and no longer anywhere close to the ones and twos and threes and four dollars that everybody expects you to be. Now the way you get there is obviously through the economies of scale but to get the economies of scale in realistic terms is you in the hundreds of 200,000 device range and realistically we we very far away from there. It might get there, eventually it'll get there um, but due to the overheads and due to the, the size of the market right now, and when I say size of the market, don't get me wrong, there is a size of the market and all the predictions of 100 billion devices by 2025 and stuff will most likely be true. 
but they're not all the same device. They don't all use the same enclosure. They don't all use the same technology. They don't all use the same battery. The market's very so fragmented, you've, right? You've got a bunch of people correct. building a bunch of products all around the world and supplying you know, small quantities to, to many people. And as a result of that, you've got uh, inefficiencies, right? Um, I mean, the, the same could be could be said about I don't know um, car industry. If can you imagine having hundreds of car companies, if not thousands? Yep. Um, what it would really do is is the price of a, a car would you know probably double, triple, quadruple, um, just because they can't manufacture enough cars to to get their money back right on the investment and you can't purchase enough products and so on and, and I think that's what you're you're saying here is is that's where most of the problem lies is in volumes and exactly. everyone wants their own little version of a sensor one guy wants this yep. thing and the other guy wants that thing or, or gal and, and that's that has a, a significant impact on, on the, the cost of, of the end user's price, if you want. Exactly. And I mean, the, the, the bigger thing here is, is in talking from experience in realistic terms is, I mean, the type of applications that, that I've seen so far, you sitting anywhere in a volume of like 2,000 to 5,000 and the higher sort of volumes I've seen is 20,000 per annum, um, which is great. And But I mean, you can take that 20,000 per annum, you take the, the volume, the figures we just discussed or work it out for yourself and amortize your costs over that 20,000 units and you'll figure out that you're nowhere near the $1, $2 device. So although it's technically possible in reality, in reality terms, it's far more unlikely to reach those sort of numbers for these devices yet. Now, um, what is true is that once you've found an application and you can build it out and you know you've got a hundred thousand devices and stuff up and coming you can you can procure for those devices and you can most likely get to the best price possible it's what they call um, economical batch batch procurement and it's a well-known subject that everybody does that runs large volume of items so they'll go back to the manufacturers and say what how many parts do I have to buy from you to get the best price um, and they'll do that because, I mean, obviously the components doesn't come in, in sets of one. You have to buy a reel of 5,000. So if you want to build 1,000 devices, you still have to amortize 5,000 units or you have to find another place to use them because you still had to take the money out of your pocket to invest in that right. cost. Um, so you have to plan for, for that sort of um, overage, is what you can call it. If you can't use it somewhere else, then it's a dead loss to this project. Now. The second interesting thing that kicks in here is, is let's say for instance now you've built a device and you know that you're going to sell um, 10,000 of these devices over the next five years. That's great. Um, here's the issue. With the ever-increasing technology as it goes on today, you have 18 months to 24 months of um, relativity, if I can call it like that, um, in the consumer market before something new comes along at a lower cost. Right. So you need to get to market as soon as possible through your device and sell as many as possible because if you think that your same device that you built today is going to be relevant in five years time, um, sorry for you, the technology might still work, the application might still work, but there is going to be something cheaper on the market right. in that time frame. So 
there's always this this goose chase um, of of chase the new thing, chase the new thing, not necessarily because it's better, but because it's cheaper. Right. Um, and that's the world we find ourselves in. Would you say that? I mean, with a the short range radio, because the the radio without the LP WAN radio, which we've talked about LP WAN in previous episodes, but without the LP WAN radio, we'd be closer to achieving maybe the twenty dollar mark uh, of a sensor with a, a limited quantity. We would, and the the explanation for that is very simple. Um, I think Bluetooth has been been out now for going on fifteen years or something like that, if not longer. Right. And through multiple vendors and multiple IC um, silicone manufacturers picking up the technology and complying to the standard and creating some competition, the pricing was driven down. And the ubiquitous use of Bluetooth across multiple vendors has also helped to drive that price down. Right. Now, IoT is still new um, in, in relative terms of the long range radios. For commercial readiness, you're probably sitting at, at probably five years into the into the development thereof. In some countries, it's a bit more mature than other countries, but it is still very new. So hopefully through more peoples and more vendors taking on the LP1 radios and driving competition, we'll see that price eventually come down to these sort of prices. That'd be, that'd be amazing. I'm sure the consumer would, I mean, even, even us as, as a, a vendor uh, and a solutions provider, we'd, we'd, you know, we're always seeking to find better ways to to produce a, a product at a cheaper price uh, or, or less for less, same quality yeah. but for less money, and you know one thing that I think is is you hit the nail on the on the head here is it's Bluetooth short range, it's doable, uh, but that's not what we're doing here. We're doing we're talking prop deck, we're talking high rises, we're talking large scale deployments, all of which. Requires you know long range radios, and if it ain't for for long range radios, then you've got a bunch of hubs and repeaters, and that just increases the the overall cost of the solution, and then you're right back to square one, and you're looking at this going, okay, well I guess I'm going to invest in a long range radio, because short range radios with hubs and repeaters is equally as expensive, if not more, than just going with you know, buying the bullet and, and spending more money on on the quality, you know, LP WAN sensor, for example, versus a, a short range device that, that that might be applicable in the market. That's exactly it. Very fine balance. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. It's something we live we live through every day. Is kind of being compared to solutions that might or you know have inferior radio technologies from a ability to scale and, um, and and so from a pricing standpoint it can never be compared well the i mean sorry to interject it the, the funny thing is um you mentioned that and i have to mention something very interesting i mean we obviously get a lot of these applications coming through the door and a lot of the times i would say i would say 80 percent of the times the actual hardware that you use to comply or to satisfy that requirement is the exact same device and what I mean by that is, is it's the same design it's the same batteries it's the same everything but the one thing that is 90% ensured not to be right is the form factor 
you end up with the same hard tech, the same everything, but in a different shape. And if you do a different shape, it's a new mold, it's a new size PCB, it's a new everything, although nothing has really changed. But you have to do that to make the device more practical and deployable in those circumstances. Um, and I'll give you a, a good example of that is if you have taken an environmental sensor um, that gives you moisture, um, temperature, humidity, um, barometric pressure, and I put it through in a nice consumer enclosure and I put it through on the table. That device is most likely 5 volt powered from a little USB adapter and it's not waterproof because it doesn't need to be, it's internal and it most likely clips together with a mechanical um, fastening method instead of a screw or a sealed method. Right. Now this next person comes along and they say I want temperature tracking, humidity, barometric pressure um, and I want to use it for my greenhouse. Okay, um, sure we've got the tech but it's not waterproof so you can't wet it and the <laughs> consumer says yeah, 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 don't worry, but I won't wet it. They hang it up in the, in the greenhouse and week two, um, somebody else comes in to water, the, water the, the plants and the device is drenched and you get this little device back in a plastic baggie saying something went wrong with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> totally. So, so that, is, that is a very big impact on a lot of these applications. It's, it's not necessarily the technology, but it's the form factor that doesn't make it practical. So... You, you have to take these sort of things into account when, when designing a device. Because you, can't, you can never determine what, what the purpose of the product is going to be completely. You might have a good idea when you're building the device, but you don't necessarily know exactly how it's going to turn out if you're going to sell to you know, uh, this kind of market or that kind of market. And then, and then next thing you know, that the, 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 the product that you designed and built is not necessarily the right product for, for that market. And then you have to go right back to the drawing board and do this all over again. Uh, exactly. And I mean, the reason why I'm mentioning this is exactly to the argument of, um, hey, but why is your stuff so expensive? I can go onto Alibaba, look, there's a $1, there's a $1 temperature sensor. <laughs> yes, I can, I can also supply you with that sensor, but it's not gonna work for your application. Right. So, I mean, talking back to the, to the PropTech market, Having equipment specifically designed for the use case makes the installation process and the practical limitations so much less. Um, it's it's worth mentioning its weight in gold when you when you actually put your hands on the device and you carry on with the installation, which is not necessarily so so visible or or valuable, or you can't perceive the value until you've actually done it upfront. So it's not a case of comparing apples to apples because you have to take the entire picture into account. Right. Well, thank you, Johan. I think um, this was a, a really informative session. I, I think uh, to sum it up, you know, it's, it's possible, but probably not for the prop tech industry for, for some time unless you want to spend some, some of your capital on repeaters and hubs. And, um, you know, we wouldn't advise to do that. So... Better off probably biting the bullet and spending a bit more on uh, on LP WANs and products and, and scaling scaling uh, scaling the solution to, to something that is wireless and, and, and scalable throughout your high rise towers. Folks, thank you all for tuning in to the PropTech Revolution. This wraps it up for us today. We'll see you in a couple weeks for another series with Johan and Simon. If you find our topics interesting and you wish to discuss them with us. 
please send us an email or contact us at 1-855-PropTech. That's 1-855-PROPTEK. Thank you.